So I went to fireworks last night. Anyone else been to fireworks yet? No, see, first, yay. Um, I think I enjoyed them more than the grandchildren. I do like fireworks. But it got me thinking whether I would find it more difficult to have sight impairment or hearing impairment. Which would I miss most at a firework display? And um, we're looking at, at the moment in John chapter 9. It's the story of a man who was born blind and was healed by Jesus. And um, I have had experiences, though, of being blind. In 1975, when I was about 16, I was riding home from college on my moped. Do people remember mopeds? Are they still around? I don't know. Um, I was going up the Portsmouth Road in Godalming. Here is, thanks to Google Street View, a view of where I was traveling up this hill. I don't know whether you can really see from this, but there's a driveway just on the left here. And as I, it was in the dark in the evening in, in autumn, a dog ran out from that driveway and I swerved to avoid the dog, came off the, the bike, took a chunk out of my chin, and fortunately, a bus coming up the hill behind me, there was nothing coming the other way, so the bus could go round. And um, the, the dog owners were out there pretty soon afterwards, chasing their runaway dog, took me in um, and, um, uh, you know, called my parents and what have you. And, and I went into, a, I don't know, maybe a stress migraine or something. I just started to go blind. Gradually, my vision just blotched out till it was just all fuzzy. Like, you remember the old days of televisions when you tuned them with a knob and it was all fuzzy? Some of you remember this. And um, I, I was sweating, felt cold, and I went blind. Right? I couldn't see anything. But thankfully, after about 20 minutes, it, it gradually blocks of vision started to come back, and then I had it all back. And this has happened a few times since in kind of shock situations. So I don't think I'm any good in that kind of situation, is my conclusion. But... Uh, um, it, was, it wasn't a pleasant experience, it was a bit scary, and, um, and, so, uh, and, uh, and I'm so grateful I have sight. I think it's a wonderful thing. Now, in John's Gospel, we find out that Jesus is God's dangerous but healing light in the, in the world. And in chapter 9, it records two contrasting responses to Jesus, who is the light of the world. He says it in verse 5. Uh, there's a blind man who's open to God's light in Christ, and then there are seeing men who are closed to God's light in Christ, the Pharisees, the uh, religious hierarchy in the synagogue. Now, it's often imagined that to become a Christian, you must stop being curious. I think nothing could be further from the truth. I think becoming a Christian requires curiosity. Curiosity about my assumptions and prejudices, curiosity about whether me and my group are in the right, curiosity about other people, those in the other group. When I was 18, I met these Christians and started talking to them about their Christian faith, and I was curious. Curiosity, above all, about who Jesus is and what he's up to. And I think to be uncurious is to be blind in your mind. Now, um, in, in, so in this, this is the third of four talks on John chapter 9. I do recommend listening to Rebecca Pollock and Katie Lucas the first two weeks. But let me fill you in if you weren't around on what's happened so far. So in John chapter 9 verse 1, we read of Jesus that as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. He saw a man blind from birth. So he saw somebody. And, um, and this is what starts the whole amazing event that happens here. Do you know God sees you? 
and amazing things can happen because God sees you. And uh, the disciples, on the other hand, Jesus' followers, they didn't see the man. They saw a theological conundrum. So in verse 2, we read, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, see, they get all theological. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Because the disciples, like many Jews in their day, had been taught that illness was evidence that you had sinned against God. And this man was born blind from birth. So they're puzzling, well, can you sin in the womb then? Or is it his parents who'd sinned? What's caused him to be blind? What sin has occurred? But Jesus in verse 3 responds very clearly, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. So the answer is no, this blindness was not a result of sin. And then again filling in the backstory before we get to today's passage, Jesus did something, he, sp he spat on the ground. I don't know about you, I find that a little bit um, not pleasant. I don't go around spitting, but you know, there we go. He spat with, it's gross in other words, and he made some mud with his saliva, but it gets worse, as, you, as many of you realize. He then put this mud that he'd mixed with mud and saliva on the man's eyes, right? Even grosser. And in a way that Jesus made this man doubly blind, didn't he? Because he was already blind. Now there's like a load of soil, mud over his eyes so he couldn't see even more and then told him to go to wash the mud off at the nearby pool of Siloam and then verse 7 ends with this statement so the man went and washed and came home seeing yay very understated like the bible normally is um, a remarkable miracle had occurred Jesus had done it and it, we might ask the question how do people respond and I think there are three people, I've already referenced this, there are neighbours referenced in the section from last week. They were fearful to accept that Jesus maybe could be God because to do so would mean being excluded by the religious leaders who'd said you shouldn't follow this man Jesus. He's not from God. So they were scared. The man born blind, he's open to what Jesus is doing. He responds very open-heartedly to Jesus. He's create, curious, open to the new possibility of what might happen, willing just to go off and wash in that pool of Siloam. No questions, no fussing about it, just, boom, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, such an open guy. And then the Pharisees just close to the idea that God is at work through Jesus. Uh, as it were, they've made a fortress against any new possibilities of how God might be working in the world. So because the neighbours are scared, they call in the Pharisees to rule on this miracle. Was it from God or not? Uh, is it authentic? And so we come to the passage and what the Pharisees do next, because I think they actually conclude it can't be authentic because Jesus did this healing on the Sabbath, and on the Sabbath you weren't supposed to work, and uh, they classed healing as a work unless it was to intervene in a life-threatening situation. That was okay on the Sabbath, but anything else. And obviously, this guy had been blind from birth. This was not a life-threatening situation. So he was a sinner. He couldn't possibly be doing God's will. So the healing can't be from God. So we come to today's passage, chapter 9, verse 24 to 34. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God they say this by telling the truth is added in the NIV it's not in the Greek text they, they said we know this man is a sinner he replied this is a blind man well whether he's a sinner or not I don't know one thing I do know I was blind but now I see well then they asked him what did he do to you how did he open your eyes and he answered 
I've told you already, if you read just the previous verses, he had done. I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And then they hurled insults at him and said, you're this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. They were good Jews. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, he's quite sparky, isn't he? I think if you live on the streets begging, you need to be. He says, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing to this The Pharisees, Jewish religious leaders replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Right, so they threw him out of the synagogue, out of the community, in effect. So John is asking us to consider here who is really blind. And I'm using the word curiosity a lot in this because I think, actually, when we cease to be curious, we have become blind. We cease to be open to the other. Especially, we cease to be open to God in Jesus. And you're doubly blind when you don't even realize you've become too proud to be curious. But that Ellie will be picking that up next week. So John, I believe, the story is told in, it, it, as an invitation to us to be curious about Jesus above all, but just generally curious. And his account, this, in these few verses, I'm going to go through them, uh, sets out examples, both good and bad, that we can learn from as we seek to develop the habit of good curiosity, of being open to God's dangerous but healing light, to God's new world of love, of healing, of freedom, but also judgment on everything that opposes God's loving purpose on the earth. And I think a lot of these skills work just as well for resolving conflicts and they have broader application. So I've I've got uh, 10 do's and don'ts to develop good curiosity and avoid bad curiosity. Are you ready? Boom. Number one, uh, do not gaslight people by trashing their friends. See, verse 24, um, they said, we know this man is a sinner. I mean, I know the blind man's only just met Jesus very briefly, but, you know, the, the Pharisees are trying to make this man born blind doubt that Jesus is a good person. And coercive control often works like that. It's never curious. It's only controlling. They trash talk Jesus And I want to tell you, I don't think trash talk sits well in the mouths of those who follow Jesus, right? Uh, Trash talk about Jesus obviously wouldn't sit well, but trash talk about other churches, trash talk about all kinds of things, it doesn't sit well. God, would you cleanse my tongue? Number two, um, because, you know, when when we trash talk, we're not being curious about that other person. We've boxed them, haven't we? Number two, do not gaslight people by casting doubt on what they remember. The Pharisees, in a previous passage from last week and then again this week, they keep asking the man born blind, well, how did Jesus do this? Well, trashing your friends, coercive control, stuff like that. Making you doubt your own memories and things. It's kind of coming out, but thank you, Neil, for asking that. So, um, so uh, where was I? Sorry, yes. So they, they cast doubt on what he can remember, because that's why they keep asking him, 
well, how did he do this? They're trying to undermine his memory of what's happened. And that's what happens in coercive relationships, isn't it, where people are gaslighting. It's one of the ways that gaslighting happens. You make people doubt their own memory of events. Keep asking them about it so they be, you begin to think, oh, I'm not sure I do remember that rightly. Right? But this guy, here's, a, here's an important thing to, about curiosity. Don't doubt your own memory of your experience, number three. Because he says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but blind, but now I see. He, he, he's, he clings doggedly to what he remembers. He won't let them rewrite his experience of Jesus. And I think that's a really important thing to do. Recently, I was telling a um, fellow director in a company where I'm a director about my faith. And he said something like, it must be nice to have a, crush, a crutch when you need one. But... Listen, the crutch is very useful when you need one, but my Jesus is not a stick. Yeah? He's the fullness of God in bodily form who upholds the un whole universe by his word. Now, I didn't say that to him, but I did say to this, I did say, well, actually, I, I have a relationship with God through Jesus. He, I, I feel he talks to me and I talk to him, and it's the most important thing in my life or something like that. I didn't want him just to think, you know, religion, going to church was a crutch. Though a crutch it is, do you understand? So, um, now this man who was born blind did not yet know all of that about Jesus. He'd seen enough to be sure that Jesus was a prophet at least. You can read that in the previous section. Um, now you may be a very new Christian. Family members may dismiss what you've experienced. They may, with all good intentions, try to make you think you've been duped or that your memory of this experience of God you've had, well, that's, you know, are you sure? And cause doubts on it. That was certainly my experience when I was converted when I was 18. My parents certainly did this. But this man, born blind, gives you a great example. Hold fast to your memory of what God has done in you. Right? Write it down and, and, and have it there as your recollection of how God met with you. But notice that the man born blind is careful not to go beyond what he experienced. He clearly admits what he does not know. Right? He, he, he says, doesn't he, um, you know, I, I, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I, I don't know that. So it's important because I, I remember when I was first a Christian, there were times when I got talking to someone and I told them a whole load of things I did, had learned about God and following God. And I, I then kind of started explaining a few things I wasn't even sure about and I think probably getting right out of the ballpark, right? So just stick with what you've definitely experienced. You know, when I, uh, as human beings, we naturally want to belong and long before smartphones, do you remember when we actually had paper Bibles? I know some of you still go for paper Bibles. Um, uh, you know, I was embarrassed because when I started going to church, having converted to Jesus, started to follow Jesus, my Bible was incredibly clean and new, and all their Bibles were well-thumbed and well-used. And I felt I really sticked out, stuck out. And so, I, I know I've told you this before, but this is what I did. I took keys and I smashed at the Bible like this. I, I got some soil from the garden and I rubbed it up and down here. Because I thought, I don't want my Bible to look like I haven't read it, right? I hadn't read it much, but I didn't want it to look. But that was foolish. It was stupid. It was just a trying to fit in thing. But thank God I wasn't duped into not reading this book because I did read it. And when I read it, I found life. Thank God for that.
So, as I say, don't be, um, do not doubt your own memory of meeting with God. Hold fast to that experience. Write it down. And, uh, and so then next, do, do try to work out a shared account of what happened. Right? We read in John 9, 26, then the Pharisees asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? If these questions were genuinely meant, which I think we have good grounds to, su- to suspect they were not genuinely melt, meant, they would be a really helpful way of proceeding. You see, conflict kills curiosity. Tribal loyalties trump truthful inquiries. And often when there's a bit of conflict, we disagree about what happened. So... Um, one house we lived in, our neighbours applied to build a rear extension, and I looked at the plans that were sent to the council, and it was going to be about 30 or 40 centimetres from our, our shared boundary. Oh, yeah, that was fine. And then when the builders came and actually erected it, the wall was about 10 centimetres from the boundary. And I was like bristling for days, you know, it was like, oh, this is all this very unjust, it's not according to the plans. And I was, in my eyes, my neighbour was deliberately encroaching, was deliberately, you know, do you ever do anything like this? I'm sure you don't, but I did, and, and I do. So, uh, but the Holy Spirit eventually helped me to stop judging my neighbour and, uh, and to be, think curiously about them. We knew, we'd known them a long time. They were already there when we moved in. They were lovely. There was nothing, and as I thought about it, the Holy Spirit helped me to realise actually there was nothing hostile about this at all. It was just the way the builder had done it, and did it really matter anyway? And it was important, actually, to keep a relationship with great, great neighbours. And, uh, and, and so God helped me. We need to be curious enough about other people, not to uh, impose th- our thoughts upon them and assume hostility, which is not there. I know, of course, genuinely there can be hostility from people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where we mistakenly attribute hostility. And the great thing is, still occasionally exchange messages with this neighbour, and he's told me that he now goes to church. Yay! So, um, but one of the things that goes wrong when there's conflict between people is that we have the wrong conversation, uh, which is what I'm building on here. Uh, what I mean is we, t- we don't talk about what happened to agree w- what did happen, a common sort of account of what happened. Instead, we assume hostility. We assume ill intentions. And that's my fifth point. Don't assume you know the intentions and wishes of the other person. The man who was born blind makes that mistake here. You know, in verse 27, he says, I've told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear again? Do you want to become his disciples too? He's not really asking a question there. This is not curiosity. He's making an insinuation. He's making an insinuation. He had no grounds to believe to be true. He's simply trying to rile them here. And that is not a very helpful way to move a relationship into a better place. It's a false kind of curiosity, and it brings darkness, not light. And I guess we've all experienced those occasions and found it incredibly annoying to have someone else tell you what your motives were in a situation. Isn't that annoying? So please, God, would you help me to stop doing it? Because... This is the dangerous light of Christ. He shines it upon us and invites us to be curious about how we misplace attitudes as well. 
And um, the next thing is, do listen to the other person, right? He, he says to them, I've told you already, and you did not listen when they've asked him. And uh, it does seem that he was very accurate about that. That was a good reading. But listening is a really important thing. Curiosity is expressed through all of our senses, but maybe especially through sight. And uh, I've been reading the autobiography of Augustine of Hippo, a bishop in North Africa in the late 300s, early 400s AD. And um, he says, we do not say, listen for anything red. Agreed? We don't say, smell how shiny. We don't say, taste how brilliant this is, or feel the brightness of that. But we do say, let's see how this sounds. See how fragrant this is. See what this tastes like. Look how hard this is. It's funny how the, the sight sense almost trumps all the other senses. So how is our listening? How is our seeing? I think we have much to learn about listening, and I certainly have. Recently caught some of the film on TV, uh, old film with Mel Gibson, What Women Want. You, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I'm not recommending the film particularly. But the, 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 uh, Mel Gibson plays this advertising executive who is uh, amazingly through an electric, I think he's struck by lightning or something, he acquires the ability to hear what women are thinking. Right? And the result is that he's forced to listen. He can't switch it off. He's forced to listen to the thoughts in women that he passes in the street or wherever at work. And initially, he, he abuses that, uh, that ability. But slowly, he's actually changed. He's forced to have curiosity because he can't actually exclude hearing the thoughts of all the women that come close to him physically. It's an amazing illustration. If only we would listen with such clarity to one another and be curious about what's going on inside. That would be a great gift, wouldn't it, to give to the world. Number seven, do not insult the other person. It says, verse 28, the, Harris, the Pharisees hurled insights at him. Um, <clears throat> when people are, are, behave in a gaslighting way, yes, they often seem charming and reasonable in a relationship at first, but then they're very mercurial and they suddenly switch and it becomes very nasty, it becomes quite malicious and unpleasant and undermining. That's not the kind of relationship that is helpful if you want to be open to God and if you want to be open to other people to introduce them to the light of the world, which is Jesus Christ. Number eight, do be curious about new possibilities in the world. The blind, the blind man was genuinely open. I think it's extraordinary how easily he responds to Jesus' activity, you know, the mud and stuff. It's just amazing, I think, how open he was. He tells the Pharisees, verse 32, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's open to Jesus being a, a channel of God's rich blessings into the world. I think that's brilliant. And, um, but the Pharisees reject him. They can't cope with that. So the verse 34, we read, they throw him out of the synagogue. And that really meant being excluded from the community was a really severe thing that was happening to him. So I just want to encourage us all as Christians, if you want to follow Jesus, we also need to keep being open to new possibilities. So 
you know, there's a, um, there's a move and a leading to go and plant out of this church in East Leeds. That's a new possibility. And we're kind of all invited to come before God and say, I wonder if I should be doing that. And it's not that you're wrong if you don't go and be part of that. that that's fine. But if we won't actually ask God and seriously inquire of God, then we're not being curious enough and open to the dangerous but healing light of God that's made available to us in Christ. So I just want to remind you about that. Number nine, never be curious about and open to evil and untruth. Um, we can be so committed to our own story, our own tribe, and closed to the experience of the other. Maybe we're scared. Maybe we are settled. Maybe we're stakeholders in what is untrue. We have skin in the game. In this event, the Pharisees do not wish to accept the man's account of his healing. And so there's a query, is this the real man or is this an imposter? The blind man is somewhere else and this guy's pretending to be the blind man and that he could always see and there was no healing at all. Do you see? It's a fake news thing. Or, or they say, well, Jesus can't have done this. He's a sinner. He did it on the Sabbath. God couldn't have done a healing on the Sabbath. Loads of queries and fake stuff. Uh, you know, I find it, I'm frightened how easily I can believe fake news. It's said that rumor is halfway around the world before truth has got her boots on. It is said that truth is the first casualty of war. This week, the BBC, which is not a perfect news organization, I, I, I'm not trying to say that, but they investigated the deaths of two four-year-old boys. Omar was Israeli and Omar was Palestinian. Omar, a Jewish boy, was killed by a Hamas fighter terrorist in that initial terrorist attack on the 7th of October. Or, if you believe social media, he was killed by the Israelis. Omar, a Palestinian boy, was crushed when a building near where he was playing in the street collapsed in an Israeli airstrike. Or, if you believe social media, the body filmed was just a dolly and not Omar at all. The BBC journalists have really drilled down into this and found the original story is true. The other things are falsities. Let's be curious enough to determine what is and what is not true. Watch out for confirmation bias, that tendency to, um, to, 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 to believe and credit news which supports our pre-existing beliefs. But worse still, I think I found this in myself and others, we can be pleased to hear of the misfortunes of other people. Um, we can have a secret pleasure in hearing of the downfall, the failure, the, mis the misfortune of those we regard as the competition, whatever. This is bad curiosity. And we need help to safeguard our curiosity. Uh, John Wesley, who with his brother was, uh, and then with George Whitfield, they were responsible for an enormous move of God in Great Britain and actually in America too in the 1700s, I think I'm right in saying. And uh, he, he um, ended up starting the Methodist Church because the Anglicans struggled to accept what they were doing, preaching in the open air to great crowds of people, especially across northern England. And he says this, some six, he's got six rules about safeguarding our curiosity. I, I, sorry, I put a slightly different wording there. He says, we will not listen or willingly inquire after any ill concerning another. Whew. Number two, if we do hear of any ill in another's life, we will not be forward to believe it. 
Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, Lord, help me. As three, as soon as possible, we will ask the person concerned to verify the facts. Now, I have done that a few times. It takes courage. And you need to be careful how you do it. You don't go with blaming. You go with inquiry and curiosity. Number four, until this is done, no word will be spoken to anyone else about this ill news. <sighs> That's tough, isn't it? Gossiping is so pleasurable. But the dangerous light of Christ shines in on us and says, why, why, why would you take pleasure in such things? Number five, after communicating with the person, we will not breathe any word about the matter to others. Yikes. Number six, we will keep these rules unless we feel bound in conscience to break one of them. There are clearly times when you need to be a whistleblower. Safeguarding is a priority, right? We're not looking after the reputation of the Oak Church. We're looking after people. And if our reputation needs to be you know, brought into question, then that is what must happen because we must look after people. So number six is very, very important. All right? So um, I probably should say more about that, but we will move along because I just want to say I, I've been in the church six years now only, and I, I would say generally I don't find these things going on in the church, but occasionally I do. Somebody tells me something which I know to be untrue or it may be true, but it's actually quite damaging and hurtful, and it's not helpful to be shared. And I just want to say, let's, let's, before we repeat any ill news, let's be curious of ourselves. Let that dangerous light of Christ shine in us and ask ourselves, is this true? And even if it is true, is it helpful to speak it? I'll leave that with you. So then 10, do be curious about where someone is coming from. Verse 29, the Pharisees say, we know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Well, Jesus has said, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world, and we know he's come from God. We go back to the beginning of John's gospel. Now, it's not good to be naive. I'm not inviting naivety by talking about curiosity. God does not want us to be gullible people. Yay. True curiosity means asking good questions. More than that, uh, asking questions is not sufficient evidence of good curiosity. Curiosity is not a commitment to ask questions. Curiosity is a commitment to ask questions and to act on the information gleaned. You might say I'm contradicting what I just said. But, you know, let's say we investigate global warming. Should that have an impact on my behavior? Because I think I, I once heard somebody say that, you know, we can be a liar, which is to have a low information action ratio. We, our heads are filled with stuff, but it doesn't actually play out in any change of life. God wants it to play out in change of life. So ask God for hair. I picked this because of my own, you know, challenging situation, right? To have a high action information ratio. When, when you get new light, let that light play out and work out what are the implications for my life of this new light, this dangerous healing light of God. So um, I want to encourage you to be open for that. When I was 18, I'd been talking with several Christians for about a year at college, and eventually they invited me to an event where a guy called Mike Frisbee explained the Christian message. 
And at the end, I went up to argue with him. And my main question was this, well, what about hell? Like, what about hell? And this guy, Mike, who I, I could, I'm still aware where he's serving God, he gently gave me better questions to ask. He said, don't ask that now. And believe me, I have thought about this a great deal in the years since. So I'm not saying that question is an irrelevant question. I have thought about it. But he, he directed me to much better questions for me at that moment. He said, ask yourself, is Jesus God? And if yes, will you follow him? Two of the best questions that you can ask. How the, what a wonderful thing the Holy Spirit would cause him to redirect my curiosity from questions that weren't helping me to questions that really did help me. Because he gave me a book, he gave me this book, Runaway World by Michael Green, which gives the evidence, some of the evidence. There are many books that are similar. This is probably old-fashioned, probably out of print. And I went home and I started reading the book. And I thought tentatively, I think I'm being persuaded that Jesus is God. And so I'm going to follow him. And I'm still following him 50 years later. Right? But that was the good curiosity that that man directed me towards. Friends, we can only see because we're first seen by Jesus. Right? Do you remember the right at the beginning of the chapter, John 9, 1, says as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. A man mostly walked by and ignored. Jesus saw him. Jesus today sees you. Jesus notices you. Jesus is opening your eyes. Come follow him. He has made a way, as we've been singing about this morning. Praise God. Do uh, Graham and band want to come up the front? <clears throat> if you can stand, I'd like to ask you to stand, as I just want to... Um, want to give you, rather than letting you move along in your thoughts, I just want to focus on some of those thoughts. What are the good, curious questions about Jesus you have? Are you exploring them somewhere useful? Are you bringing true curiosity? So maybe today you want to come, just like I went up to Mike Frisbee in 1976 on the 30th of March, maybe you're going to come up to me afterwards on the 29th of October, 2023, and we're going to have a discussion about the question to ask. Do find me afterwards, I'll be over here. Good.